All right, so to start, I want to tell you a little bit about myself. I used to be a real big basketball fan, NBA fan, um, and now I'm just an NBA fan, you know. I am still really big, though, you know, so it's like I am still a big, bas- like, really big basketball fan, right? But the really big's modifying me, not the fan, you know what I'm saying? See, this, when I was preparing this, I was like, this is exactly how they taught me in public speaking. You start off with a very obscure grammatical reference, and then the audience is hooked the entire time. So you should try it sometime. Just kidding. I brought a prop. This is going to be better. Visual aid. This represents what I'm talking about, right? This is a jersey that I got uh, 10, 15 years ago. I collect jerseys, or I collected jerseys. I don't get them anymore. Um, this is a really cool jersey. This is possibly one of the best jerseys that was ever worn in the NBA. It's a 94, 95 uh, Toronto Raptors jersey. Uh, Jurassic Park just came out. Raptors were an expansion team. And so there's like this big craze for like a Velociraptor. And they're like, what if we make a Velociraptor playing basketball, put it on our jerseys, and we have like pinstripes, but it looks like the Velociraptor has scratched it. And so this is it. This is Vince Carter, who uh, is probably the best person to wear this jersey, though Tracy McGrady, I think, played his rookie year in this. I don't know if you follow him. Excellent score. I once wrote a paper about this guy in college comparing his genius and creativity to Leonardo da Vinci. And, uh, <laughs> and then they said, maybe stick to the hard sciences, right? And they're like, <laughs> but I made my way back, you know? Anyway, all, all this to say, um, it, this, is, this is actually a really nice jersey, um, if you wanted to buy one yourself, uh, it would cost you, oh, let me get this uh, on. Ready, go. Oh, no, no, it's because it did the thing. Is it doing the thing? Yes. All right, we, we, uh, I get coached like every, every week after this on how to use this little thing. All right, this, this is, I found this last night on Toronto Raptors website. If you want to buy the officially licensed gear, Mitchell and Ness, this is $98.99, throwback authentic jersey, Vince Carter, Raptors, it's a cool $227.49 with the code SWISH, but that was only good for two hours and eight seconds when I took screenshots. Sorry, if you want to buy it today, it'd be $324.99, though I bet if you went there, you could still get the deal. You know what I'm saying? You know how these things work. Now, here's, here's the thing, though. Here's the thing. I've got uh, several of these jerseys. Um, I like them quite a bit. Um, do you know what the one thing is that they all have in common, though? So, no, actually, yeah, I know, it's funny. I named my firstborn child Carter. <laughs> um, don't tell Sherry. <laughs> uh, but, uh, no, the, no, the funny part is I didn't pay anywhere near this amount for the jerseys. I mean, I paid 50, 60 bucks max. You want to know my secret? I bought counterfeits. <laughs> yeah, totally. Yeah, th- this isn't officially licensed by the NBA. It just has a patch. I found some website online that some company, foreign company, are selling these things, and I'm like, absolutely, I'm scooping those up. Why? Because that's all I need them for. They look good, right? I can have them, but it's not the real thing. Now, the, re- the reason why we're starting like this is because we've been going through the Kings, Paper King series. The king today chooses not to settle for a counterfeit and instead chooses the real thing. Um, and so this is my little illustration of um, what I got and I can be proud of. Um, and we'll see as we go through the story, um, how can we also choose to not settle for counterfeits, especially counterfeit faith, counterfeit God, but instead go for the real thing. Uh, now, I, I went a little bit backwards. Normally, I, I start out by saying, what's your word for the king? Because we, we've been sending out, here's the passages, go ahead and read them, and if you read them, say it. Uh, my word for King Hezekiah is real. 
Because he went for the real, he did not go for the counterfeit. But I want to give you guys the opportunity. If you read the passages, and there were seven chapters this week, so I was kind of like lulling you into reading like a chapter or two for the other kings. He had seven chapters this week. If you read it, what word did you have that stood out to you or that summarizes King Hezekiah? Shout it out. What do you got? Diligent. Excellent. Faithful. And You said old school? Nice. Okay, hold on. Two people said something at the same time. Worshiper and righteous. Excellent. Authentic. Any other words? Finally. Okay. That's good. Okay. So at the very end when we have our discussion, hopefully you're sitting by someone who had one of those good words and they can, they can share a little bit more about what, what they said. But if you didn't read from the words that you heard, Hezekiah, good king, like finally, maybe one of the best kings we have. I've got him as number two in my power rankings of the kings. Um, but but you, might, you might play some one, you might play some three, depending on where you go. Uh, but King Hezekiah, great guy, meant to be a model. He's one that we want to follow. Um, so we're going to go ahead and read. And while we read his story, well, we're not going to read the whole thing. But while we look at snippets, uh, we're going to look at how can we make sure we're not settling for a counterfeit faith or anything less than a full real faith and worshiping the full real God. So would you bow your heads, bow your hearts with us, and let's ask that God would speak through his word this morning. Lord, thank you for Hezekiah. Thank you uh, for your presence here. Thank you that you still care about communicating with us and sharing who you are. I pray that we'd be listening to you. I pray that we would be uh, willing to allow you to speak through us. I pray um, that, that I would be a vessel, that you would speak through me. Um, I pray that if our minds are distracted, that they would just be distracted by the things that you want us to be thinking about this morning. So uh, we are open to you this morning, Lord. Meet us here. In your name we pray. Amen. Excellent. Okay, Hezekiah has seven chapters written about him, right? There's three in 2 Kings, there's four in 2 Chronicles. Now, we've kind of talked about how Kings and Chronicles are telling the same stories. It's about the same people, the same time period, uh, the same nations, uh, but from a different perspective. Kings is looking at the more geopolitical, historical perspective that we're more familiar with. That's how we uh, read and interpret history uh, more, more familiarly. Chronicles is telling a story from a theological perspective, meaning uh, the stories that the chronicler is telling, the drama that's unfolding is all within the context of the relationship between God's people, Israel, and God. So is, is this helping it bring closer together, moving the relationship further apart? Uh, you get kind of two perspectives. It's been a lot of fun. Uh, Kings has been the shorter of the perspectives for most of the kings. Chronicles has more to it uh, and also is more critical of the kings as we've seen uh, when we read them. Uh, it's, Hezekiah is a great example. So about two-thirds, three-quarters of the king's perspective has to do with this major event where Hezekiah revolts against Assyria, the dominant power of the day, and Assyria uh, says, I'm coming to get you. You know, like, like, no thank you. I will squash you. I will put you in your place. And talks about that. Where you go to Chronicles, it still has that story, but that's only about a quarter of the story. There are three quarters in Chronicles. Three of the chapters is all about this revival of the temple and the worship. Why? Well, because the chronicler cares more about this relationship with God and says this is more important. We're going to get to both. Don't worry. It's going to be great. Uh, but we're going to start with what happened first, and that's uh, in Chronicles with his restoration of the temple. Here's how it starts in Chronicles. I'm going to be in 2 Chronicles 29, verses 1 through 3. And I'm telling you, this gives us everything we need to know. Oh, I was going to say this right at the very beginning. Okay, it says this about King Hezekiah. Right when I was talking about number two in the power rankings, 
you could put him at number one because the Bible itself says there was no one like him among all the kings in Judah, either before him or after him. I mean, like, man, could you imagine having that written about you forever for, like, everyone to read? No one like him ever before or ever after. This is Hezekiah, right? So if you weren't already excited about reading about who he is, that gives you one more reason to pay attention. All right, here's where I was going to go. Second Chronicles 29, this is verses 1 through 3. This is the beginning of the account of King Hezekiah. So it says, Hezekiah was 25 years old when he became king, and he reigned in Jerusalem 29 years. His mother's name was Abijah, daughter of Zechariah. He did what was right in the eyes of the Lord, just as his father David had done. In the first month of the first year of his reign, he opened the doors of the temple of the Lord and repaired them. Now, this, this to me tells us what we need to know about his heart. Like, how long did it take Hezekiah to really feel comfortable in his role, right? You know, gets the new power, and he's got the kingdom, and he, he has some ideas on maybe where things need to head, you know? And so how long did it take for him before he starts making some big decisions that are going to change the culture of the entire nation? Well, in the, in the first month of the first year of his reign, he got to work. So, so already Hezekiah is a go-getter, <laughs> right? He is not someone that likes to take his time. He has an idea, he has a direction, and he has priorities. And those priorities are God's temple, right? Opened the doors of the temple of the Lord and repaired them. Uh, this to me uh, demonstrates a lot, and, but also raises up a lot of questions, right? So when you say like, he opened the doors of the temple of the Lord and repaired them, I'm like, they closed the doors of the temple? Like to, to me, to me, the temple feels like some, one of those things like a fire station, police station, Waffle House, you know, something's always open, you know, where it's like, who knows? Someone might need to come in, but it's always there. It's always available. There's always a priest that, you know, it's like if you need help, you can go to the temple. Like why are the doors closed, right? And then this makes it sound not just like closed for the night, but kind of like out of business, you know, like, like I'm not here anymore. And, 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 and this is the interesting part. This is the interesting part. Just before in 2 Chronicles 28, his dad, it says this, 28, 24, Ahaz, that's Hezekiah's dad, gathered together the furnishings from the temple of God and cut them in pieces. He shut the doors of the Lord's temple and set up altars at every street corner in Jerusalem, right? His, his dad uh, did not get such high language talked about him. Not a good guy, bad king, right? This is the environment that Hezekiah grew up in, right? And he looked around and he said, nope. One day, you know, he's talking, to if I'm ever made king, I tell you what I'm going to do. I'm opening those doors back up. First month, first year, boom, that's where he is. But I want us to sit here. What would that have been like if you're living there, right? You're in Jerusalem. The temple still stands. It's still immaculately architecture. It's dominant in terms of the lay of the land. You got the palace, you got the temple. You see it. It's there, but it's not what it was, right? You know, like, have you ever walked by, like, an abandoned building? Like, when, when my family visited Philadelphia, we, we, one day we went to uh, the subway across the Delaware River into, uh, into New Jersey, and we walked to the aquarium, and, and we passed this massive building, six floors, took up, like, a whole block, um, no windows anymore, you know, graffiti on the bottom floor, weeds growing up in the parking lot, and you're like, I'm glad it's daytime, <laughs> you know, because... That building, someone took time. That took a lot of energy. That took a lot of cost. That building was something at some point. Served the purpose. Now it's like, if you don't have a home, it would provide a little bit of shelter, maybe in the summer months. You know, it's like, that's, that's as good as it gets. But whatever it was, it certainly isn't. Right? So you, so you imagine walking, and there's this temple building, which is a reminder 
of what you once were, what, who you once were, right? It used to be the national identity, and now it's shut. Oh, yeah, yeah, I've heard stories about people, my grandparents, you know, or like, blah, blah, you know, but like, that's not it. Now, see, the temple represents more than just a building to the nation, to the city of Jerusalem. The temple was where God met with them. That was God's presence. The temple represents the relationship with God, the connection. And so the temple doors being closed means the relationship with God is dying or maybe already dead. You know, see, that, that feels a little more familiar, right? We don't have a giant temple that's either open or closed, you know, but but we have a faith in our, in our life. And for some of us, perhaps what we have left is just a memory of, ah, one time in my life, it was really significant. Or you know what, when I was a kid, I, I think I really might have actually believed in that stuff. You know, I, I, I had a faith, but now, you know, I'm not gonna tear it down. I still kind of like the building. I like the idea of having it there, but I'm not going to it. I mean, not, it's closed, weeds are gone. Don't worry about it. I'll just keep it around, Right? Some of us go through seasons where our faith is more of just a relic reminding us, reminding us of what it once was, but it isn't anymore. It's dried up. It's closed. Still there, but ah, don't need anything. Hezekiah gets on the throne. He says, nope, not in my city. <laughs> you know, He says, maybe it was something that it isn't now, but it will be what it was, right? So he goes to work. He goes to work. First thing he does, he opens the temple doors. He essentially says, we're open for business, right? No, no more of this. You cannot even go there. At least now we're saying this will be an aspect of our community again, right? So the, the equivalent uh, to, to our life, if we're saying the temple represents our relationship with God, would be like us saying, okay, you know what? I'll explore it. We'll, I, I, I won't completely ignore it. We'll, I'll listen to those, those podcasts. I'll read that book that my parents are keep giving me or something. You know, like, like I'll at least give it a second chance, right? Hezekiah doesn't stop there with just opening it, allowing the people to come. He goes about fixing it, repairing it, consecrating it is the word. Uh, here's uh, one, two, skip a few verses. Here's uh, what the priests are saying to him in verses 18 and 19. Then they went into King Hezekiah and reported, We have purified the entire temple of the Lord, the altar of burnt offering with all its utensils, and the table for setting out the consecrated bread with all its articles. We have prepared and consecrated all the articles that King Ahaz removed in his unfaithfulness while he was king. They are now in front of the Lord's altar. This concept of consecration means uh, dedicating yourself or the space solely for God. Whatever you want, you will do. There was a whole tribe, the tribe of Levi, that was set apart for servicing God's work. And in his temple, the temple had been closed. They were getting other jobs. It talks about them being on farmland uh, later on in the, in the account here. Hezekiah says, no, we're bringing it back. We're going to set aside, consecrate. These people are going to dedicate their lives to following God, to studying his word, and to ministering before him in the temple. The temple itself will no longer be just a building. It will be God's building. And so they purify it, they clean it. It says it took almost two weeks, a little over two weeks to get everything cleaned. But then it was ready. This is the equivalent of us, of us saying, you know what? I do need to get back to my faith. You know, let me just put my life in order. I've been, I've been walking way over here. I need to cut those people off. I need to cut those habits off. I'm gonna, I'm gonna kind of get my life back in order. You know, that mindset is like what Hezekiah is doing with the temple, right? Where it's, it's let, let me just clean my act up because you're right. I'm, I'm, I, I was trained in this way. Like this is how I, was, how I knew, know I'm supposed to live, how I used to live. I've, I've wandered, I've strayed, but let me get back on the path. That's what Hezekiah is doing. 
Uh, but Hezekiah didn't stop there. Uh, he, he wanted to do even more, so he schedules a massive worship service in the temple where everyone is gathered from, from everywhere, not just Jerusalem. Everyone is invited to worship God. And so for the first time in years, they all seek God together. They seek his forgiveness for their sins, for walking astray, for their wandering, for the time away. And they pray, they worship, and they sing together. They praise God. Here's what it says. Uh, later on, 29 and 30. When the offerings were finished, the king and everyone present with him knelt down and worshiped. King Hezekiah and his officials ordered the Levites to praise the Lord with the words of David and of Asaph the seer. Those are the words that we have in the book of Psalms. So they sang praises with gladness and bowed down and worship. What Hezekiah is doing here is he's saying, not only am I going to open up the temple and let it be an option for people that are interested to come, not only am I going to clean it up and make sure that it's worthy of God, I'm going to actually invite and I'm going to lead a worship uh, service where we're all together, where we can seek forgiveness from God, we can worship him together, we can praise him together and bring joy. This is going to be the new path of our kingdom. This would be like you saying, let me not just clean up my life, but I want to go seek God together in a group. So I'm going to get back into church. I'm going to, I'm going to really plug in with the believers and we're going to seek God together. But what I love about Hezekiah is that wasn't enough. He wanted to go even further still. So after the whole worship service is done, after everyone had already gathered, he had led them in worship and they had humbled themselves before God. He is going to be the new king of their lives, right? He's going to be first place. That, that's going to be their identity. He invites everyone else to come individually. It says this, then Hezekiah said, you have now dedicated yourselves to the Lord. Come and bring sacrifices and thank offerings to the temple of the Lord. So the assembly, that's everyone gathered, brought sacrifices and thank offerings, and all whose hearts were willing brought burnt offerings. And so this has to do with being grateful for what God has, saying thank you. It's also forgiveness. The burnt offerings is saying, take away my sin. You know, I want to be good. I want to be pure before you. Hezekiah says, it won't just be my thing. It won't just be the priest thing. It won't just be the temple thing. I want this to be your thing. If you, if you want a relationship with God, come, bring it. And all the people responded, right? So the, the equivalent, again, if this is about our faith journey, it's not just getting your life in order, just getting back to church, but it's, but it's letting God get into you, where you bring your heart to him. You, you let him know what your worries are, what your stresses are, what your goals are, what your ambitions are, what your weaknesses are. And you say, okay, God, here's all I am. And you just lay it out as a real person in a real relationship. You know, you take it beyond just, well, let me, I'll just participate. I'll go along with the crowd. What is, what, what is, the, what is everyone kind of wanting me to, okay, cool. So stand and clap now? No. Uh, you know, it's like getting past that and saying, well, I just want to be known by you. And, and I want you to direct me. That's how Hezekiah started it off. And then he realizes, oh, wow, the law, which we, stu remember we studied Deuteronomy in the summer, tells us we're supposed to be having these celebrations regularly. We haven't been doing that in I don't know how long. And so he says, let's have the Passover. He, he, he starts leading into obedience to what God says, right? So the, the follow-up step from once you say, okay, God, I want you to speak into my life. Here's all I have, is God says, okay, we'll do this. He says, absolutely, on we go. They were a month late, and it's really cool how Chronicles talks about it. They were a month late, but they pray to God that he would have mercy, that they're not following exactly the laws, but they're, they're trying to obey, and God blesses him in that. They have a massive Passover ceremony. And it says, they decided to send a proclamation throughout Israel from Beersheba to Dan, calling the people to come to Jerusalem and celebrate the Passover to the Lord, the God of Israel. It had not been celebrated in large numbers according to what was written. 
Hezekiah says, we aren't doing this right. People in the past, even who had the temple open, who had worship service, who allowed people to come and offer their own sacrifices, they didn't do it all the way, right? They they, they weren't following exactly what God wants. We're going to do the whole thing. If we're doing this faith thing, we're going to do it for real. And then the, the line in here, I, there's little, little tidbits all throughout Chronicles as we read it. He decided to send a proclamation throughout Israel from Beersheba to Dan, the furthest south point of Israel to the furthest north point in Dan. Super significant, though. Do you remember the very first week that we studied this? And King Rehoboam, right? That was the son of King Solomon. Uh, there was a civil war in the whole north. You know, 10 tribes split and only two stayed in the south. Dan is way up here. The, the rebellious ones, the ones that didn't have the temple, that rejected worshiping at the temple. Why to follow their own gods? They actually set up idols. I mean, if we, we could study, and there's, there's a whole theological uh, vein that Chronicles pursues in this. Hezekiah says, hey, I want them to come too. I, they had been uh, taken over by the Assyrian army. We'll get, we'll get to them later. Assyria had come, taken Samaria, exiled all the people. There's just a remnant left that had been absolutely broken and shattered. God had left them because they chose not to follow him. That's what the chronicler makes clear. And Hezekiah says, yes, I want them to come too. Here's a principle continuous through the Bible, including the Old Testament. You're never too far gone. It doesn't matter what your past is. It doesn't matter how you've treated the temple. It doesn't matter if you've ran completely away from the city that holds the temple because you want to pursue other, other pursuits and other gods. If there's a revival happening and God is meeting his people again, he wants you there and the invitation is open. So tell yourself that. Tell your friends that. Tell whoever you need to know. Tell that. It's all throughout the Bible. God's heart is to meet with you. Oh, yeah, and you guys. Oh, and whoever there, come. Yeah, you too. You, yeah, come. yeah, yeah. Yeah, absolutely, no problem. Don't worry, you're part of this. That's God's heart. That's God's heart that we see here. And that's also God's design. We see this this theme of a restoration of Israel coming through in Chronicles, and we see maybe Hezekiah is the one. Maybe he's the one that's gonna restore Israel back. Um, Of course, he doesn't stop there. Uh, It ends uh, in the very next chapter in 31 uh, with him reminding people of the tithes. Uh, so that they, they were supposed to bring out of their generosity to care for all those priests that were no longer going to be working in the field, to care for the temple that he's, he's uh, refurbished, you know, and that he's um, enhanced and made sure that he could uh, purify. Uh, so all the people respond with immense generosity. Uh, the English translation uh, that, that I use, the NIV, calls it heaps. They brought heaps, like just piles of stuff. And it's like, what are we going to do? The priests were like, we have too much. So they're, they're like finding people to give this to. They're like, are there any priests over in the fields? Uh, let's give it to anyone three years old or older. You know, I was like, what? You know, and they're building storehouses. You know, why? Because if we fully give ourselves to God, we're fully obeying him. If we're fully applied to a real faith, it's going to lead us toward generosity toward others. That is the natural outcome because that's God's heart and our heart becomes his heart. In all of this, you see that Hezekiah never settled. He could have stopped along any one of those paths where, where that, that's good enough, right? You know, or even, he could even say like, well, that's good for my first year. You know, we opened the temple. Let's just kind of see how people are feeling, see if people are using. But he, he says, no, I'm all the way in, right? Here's, here's the principle. Don't settle for the counterfeit. Choose what's real, right? Because if Hezekiah would have stopped anywhere before then, that would have been a counterfeit faith, right? Like, well, let me just make sure it's open, right? I'm open to God, right? Like, I, I'm, not, I'm not opposed to him. I'm a Christian. I'm open. You know, if God wants to work, I'm, I'll, I'm here for it, right? Well, that's a counterfeit faith. That's not what God's offering you. 
He doesn't just want you to be open to his faith. Well, he wants an active faith, a real faith, right? Go clean your life. Be, be consecrated, dedicated to him. Oh, okay, okay. Yeah. Now, be a part of the community that seeks him to get. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. That's right, that's right. You know, no, offer your heart, not just, not just your actions. Don't just show up and do the, do the thing. Connect with him in a relationship. That's, that's the real faith. Oh, not just obey him. When he directs you, then go. And that will lead you towards serving others. The whole package is what faith is. If we're stopping anyway before that, that's a counterfeit faith that sells it short. We're, 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 I'm content with that. Now, because here, here's the thing. We don't have a temple. We don't, you know, we don't have to clean this place. Yeah, it's a, so we're doing a big spring cleaning, guys, and we've got to do it if you're serious about your faith. No, it, this is our own relationship. And I think all of us struggle with being content with what we have. With what, however much our faith is, however much it's requiring of us, we're, I'm, that, that sounds good. I'm, I'm okay with that, right? And, and what ends up happening is we start feeling pretty proud about our counterfeit jerseys. Now look, I've worn this a few times, and it's starting to peel up here on the side. Uh, the stitching is coming out. And in a way that, that I say I need to make sure I'm folding this correctly and never taking it out of the drawer, right? Because I'm losing it. Why? Because this is a counterfeit. Look, if, if you actually want to use something, you need to get the real thing. Otherwise, it'll be exposed as a counterfeit. If you actually want to use your faith, you better get a real faith. Because if you need to use a faith, but all you have is a counterfeit faith, it'll be exposed as a counterfeit. It will not actually be strong enough to carry you through whatever life is, is going to hand you, whatever it's going to deal you with. Choose what's real. Don't settle for the counterfeit. Don't be content with just getting whatever it is you want out of your faith. God is offering you everything, but it costs everything. The consecration concept, that's what God's saying. Dedicate yourself to me, your life to me, everything. Nothing is yours. It's all mine for my purposes. Whoa, Pastor Brad. What, are we all going to become Mother Teresa or something? You know, it's like, go serve the poor in India or whatever. You know, it's like, that feels expensive. That's, that's a lot. Like, why? Like, I found one online, <laughs> you know, like this, it's a little bit easier if I just show up to church most of the time, right? Or it's just easier if I just get my life in order and I'm not plagued by these, you know, it's just easier if I just serve a little, you know, look, have whatever faith you want. It costs whatever you want, but what God's offering you is the real thing. And what Hezekiah is reminding us is it's the real faith that can get you through real life and to real life. Your choice, but don't settle for the counterfeit. Choose what's real. The other story in Hezekiah's life uh, puts to test his real faith. Uh, here, it's, it's in Second uh, Kings, if you want to read it. Let's see. I think it's Second Kings uh, 18, but I'm going to look at my notes. Yeah, Second Kings 18. It's the next slide. I should have just used that. But now I proved that I actually write notes, which, which was, yeah, see, that's goodness. Uh, what happens is, uh, so Hezekiah chooses to revolt from Assyria. Assyria was kind of the, the local power. Um, Hezekiah was kind of a vassal state. Um, Assyria says, no, you don't, comes and squashes it. So already wipes out the northern kingdom, Israel. You know, uh, Samaria was the capital city. They're gone, uh, exiled, destroyed, right? Destruction. And now uh, it says in Kings, very quickly, uh, Assyria just wipes out one after another of the fortified cities. And now only thing that's left is Jerusalem you know, where the temple is, where Hezekiah is, and they're surrounding him. And then you, you, you read later on, at that time, 
Hezekiah gets so sick that he's on his deathbed. And Isaiah the prophet, you know, from the fame of like the book of Isaiah, uh, comes to him and says, uh, your life is done, so get your house in order. You're not going to get well. Like, like, just, okay, pause, pause. This is Hezekiah. Like him, there had been no other from before and after. And this is what he gets. Right? He doesn't deserve it. That's not fair. That's not fair at all. Right? For this, this army, this brutal army that's destroying everyone to surround him where he can't get out, he can't fight them. Oh, by the way, you only get 14 years into your reign. You're 39 years old and you're going to die. What? Look, if anything, the Bible does not teach us the theology that if you do good things before God, if you're righteous, he will make your dreams come true, right? Like, your life will not be smooth. It, it, it just isn't there, you know? But, but what is there is God. Like, I'm telling you, what, what Hezekiah had was he had God with him through all of that. He had a real faith that could, that could stand up under all of these situations and circumstances. What happens when he gets sick is, is as, as he turns to leave, Hezekiah's like, Lord, come on, man. This isn't, this isn't good. Like, can, can I please have more time? And as Isaiah is leaving, he's like, oh, wait, hold on. I just heard from God. You have 15 more years. <laughs> you know, it's like you have double the time. And, and it's meant to be a point that it happened quickly. Like, you're meant to be like, whoa, Hezekiah and God are tight. Wow, like, they're just, like, talking. You know, it's, it's, it's not this, we seek him, and years later, you know, they, they, oh, we, we, we have heard from him. It's like, no, it's, God is there with Hezekiah. We're supposed to see that. We're supposed to see that God isn't making everything right and everything happen. Hezekiah still dies at a relatively young age, you know, compared to some of these other kings that we've seen. But he has God with him through these things. Same thing with the army uh, of Assyria. Uh, he, he, he prays, humbles himself. He follows the model that we're meant to follow, you know, uh, according to the other kings. And God shows up. There's this angel army that, like, kills the whole, the whole Assyrian army, and they, and they leave. And, and there he is, standing still, still as the king. Uh, what I love, it's a miracle. What I love about this story is that archaeologists have found evidence of this story from Assyrian sources, right? So, so they've dug up in Assyria this revolt that the king of Judah had against him, and the army came out and conquered all the cities of Judah. And, and, they, and they took so much back, they exacted all this wealth from them and, and stored it up, brought it back to Assyria, uh, but they never defeated Jerusalem. And they never defeated the king. He stayed. And, and, and Hezekiah becomes a rarity. And all these other kingdoms that rebel against Assyria, he actually rebels but stays on his throne and stays where he's at. I wonder why. No, read, read Second Kings. No, God was on his side, even against massive world powers. But uh, the portion that I want us to focus on, though, is the choice that King Hezekiah had to make. So there was an offer by the commander of the Assyrian army right before they're about to siege the city, right? They're, they're going to uh, surround it, make sure no one can come in and out. That means no food comes in and out and the water comes in and out. Um, and it's brutal for everyone. And he says, well, if you surrender now, then I'll give you peace and land. Like, look, this is, this is what the, the commander says. I'm in 2 Kings 18, 31 through 32. Do not listen to Hezekiah. He's speaking to all the people. He's speaking in the common language. This is what the king of Assyria says. Make peace with me and come out to me. Then each of you will eat fruit from your own vine and fig tree and drink water from your own cistern until I come and take you to a land like your own, a land of grain and new wine, a land of bread and vineyards, a land of olive trees and honey. Choose life and not death. 
Because what, what the people were facing was this, this long siege where, where the most likely outcomes were either they starve to death, the army, the Syrian army breaks through and kills them all and captures them, uh, or the people inside Jerusalem uh, revolt against King Hezekiah and just deliver him to the others just for relief from what's going on. So imagine you're Hezekiah, right? You are deathly ill. You've, you've seen the entire countryside be absolutely decimated. The army's surrounding you. There's no way that you can even fight. The commander even mocks him. He's like, look, I'll even give you horses. But you don't even have riders for him. Ha, ha, ha. You know, like, that's, he does that. He's like a cartoon, you know. Uh, but there's Hezekiah, leadership struggle, right? Like, like, everything's not working. God's not coming through. He has a real faith in God, and yet everything is falling apart. Death is on the line. He's, he's dying. His, his nation's dying. His precious temple that he's invested all his time in will be absolutely looted and destroyed. You take the offer? Come. Come on out. I'll, look, you guys just want food. This is what they want. They want their land back. They want to be able to have crops, to be able to grow things. I don't know what they're eating, you know, when they're surrounded. I mean, it's, it's whatever you can find, right? This is the offer. This is what they're looking for. Do you take it? Yeah, a lot of people shake it. I mean, why not, right? You're shaking your head. Why? Because you've just seen the Assyrian army absolutely destroy the northern kingdom and every other kingdom that opposes it. They bring death. They don't bring life, right? The proof is in the pudding. Jesus said, you know, you judge a tree by its fruit, right? How, how can you tell if it's a wolf in sheep's clothing? It's like, well, just look at its actions, you know? Check the track record, you know? Look at, check the Carfax, right? You know, it's, there's, there's wrecks all, all throughout the history. No, no, this isn't an offer of life. This is a counterfeit offer of life, right? This, sound, this sounds like life. This sounds like what we want. Oh, but it's not what you want, right? So we just, we just studied Deuteronomy. All that's echoing in my head are the promises that God makes to his people in his land. Things like this. Deuteronomy 28. The Lord will establish you as his holy people as he promised you on oath if you keep the commands of the Lord your God and walk in obedience to him. Then all the peoples on earth will see that you are called by the name of the Lord and they will fear you. The Lord will grant you abundant prosperity in the fruit of your womb, the young of your livestock, and the crops of your ground in the land he swore to your ancestors to give you. God had made a promise. Trust me, if you follow me, I will give you fruit vegetables, life, peace here in this land. The commander is saying, trust me, go to my land. I will give you these things. It's the same thing. It looks the same from the outside. But his is a counterfeit. Look, the commander says, choose life and not death. Here's what God said in Deuteronomy 30. This day I call the heavens and the earth as witnesses against you that I've set before you life and death, blessings and curses. Now choose life so that you and your children may live. It's the same thing. It's the same offer. It looks the same. So how does it matter? One's cheaper than the other. I'll give you that, right? Okay, don't go through this whole siege. Just surrender, and then you just get whatever he's offering you, right? You just have to trust in him. God's saying, no, hold out. Wait, trust in me. Doesn't look like it, but I can give you life. What do you do? What does Hezekiah do, right? Does he settle for the counterfeit? Or does he choose what's real? chooses what's real, you know, and he gets it, and he gets it, and God comes through for him. And this, this, is, the, this is the point we've got to hear today. There are so many counterfeit gods and counterfeit offers in the world. 
They're offering the same thing that God offers. What does God offer to us? Life, purpose, right? Meaning, significance, uh, peace, you know, like joy. Like these are things that we actually want. Yes, I do, those are good things, right? Like it's not, you know, here, no, you really do want broccoli. <laughs> you know, you're like, ah, <laughs> I don't know. Is there <laughs> anything else? You know, any dessert? You know, it's like, no, we actually want these things that God's offering us. The world has other things to offer us, right? Like, for example, again, we can spend, I mean, all morning coming up with, with examples, but like a get-rich-quick scheme, right? You know, you see the, the, the sign planted next to the, the stoplight as you're parked. You know, you see the YouTube video. It's like, make up to 60K per month from home, 10 hours a week. Call here. And you're like, whoa, 60 times 12. I don't know. That's... It's more than $100,000. You, know, you know, it's like we're almost a million dollars every year. You know, like, well, if I did that, though, if, if, okay, like, if I had that, then I'd, I mean, we'd be able to buy all the things we need. I wouldn't have all the stress. There'd be peace. You know, I mean, I'd, I'd, I'd be closer to my family because I'd be giving them the things that they need. They'd be able to go to the schools that they want. They'd be able to do all the, you know, and I'd be, yeah, you know, and there's, there's an offer for us that says in money, you can find peace. You can find life. You, you can be settled. You know, you can, you can have healthy relationships. Everything you want, joy, it's all there. You just have to make more money, right? You just have to trust me, follow me, compromise over here, sign on the dotted line. You could do it. It's available. It's easier. It's only 10 hours of, of work a week, right? Not 40 hours or whatever you guys got to do, 50, 60, right? But it's counterfeit. You know, j- judge a tree by its fruit. You know, you see people who follow get-rich-quick schemes. Their life doesn't look peaceful. Their life doesn't look happy, joyful, full. No, it's, it's counterfeit. It's a fake offer. Here's another one, the American dream. Just work hard. Put, put your, your passion into your work. Let that be your meaning and purpose. Let it be good work. Everything else will line up. You'll have enough money for sure. Maybe you won't be rich, but you certainly won't be poor. You know, your family will appreciate you. You'll live a life of peace and joy and happiness, right? Purpose, significance, there will be life. I don't know. I've seen some people who give their life to their work. They don't look very peaceful, (laughs) you know? They don't have life. Maybe it's a good thing, but it's also counterfeit, right? It'll be exposed as counterfeit if that's what you're offering. Everything, your family, your kids, prestige at home, uh, politics, it's a big one. I, I rail on it, right? Literally, the campaign promises, right? Like, what, build back better, make America great again? You know, it's like we're aiming at this beauty, this thing that we all want. We want life. We want peace. Absolutely. All all you got to do is follow me. Trust me. I'll take you there. It's counterfeit. Don't don't, don't trust that. The only, only person, only thing, only place (laughs) that you can find life is in God. Everything else is counterfeit. Right? It's, it's all like it, looks like it, makes the same promises that God offers. He's the only one that can deliver on those promises. Look around, do your research, check your history. What are you dedicating your lives to? What are you consecrating yourself for? Don't settle. Don't settle for counterfeits. Choose what's real. Uh, there's one last story in Hezekiah's life, and it's the... Uh, requisite last story that shows us that no, Hezekiah was not the king we were hoping he was, you know, not the king we were looking for, right? Um, he, uh, it's this little vignette that, that both Kings and Chronicles uh, talk about where these Babylon envoys, envoys come 
uh, to Jerusalem to meet with him during this time where a series uh, coming at them. He's sick, you know, and they're visiting. Um, and he makes this deal where, uh, I mean, the way that they tell it is he opens the storehouses and kind of shows off his wealth and like what he has. Uh, but we know from a historical perspective that he was plotting with the Babylonians to both revolt at the same time, Babylon in the east, Judah in the west, and maybe it'll split their army and it'll cause the fall of the Assyrian Empire maybe. The, the Assyrian Empire had lasted for millennia, but the plan worked. Isaiah, not so keen. <laughs> the way that he had gone about this revealed pride in Hezekiah's heart. You know, the, the same... The same pattern, that same stain that every single good king cannot escape from. They've they've experienced God's grace, and yet there's that flaw still. Babylon ends up, uh, Isaiah prophesies that Babylon will take over. All all that wealth that he showed them, well, it'll be theirs one day, right? Everything you have in your palace, everything you have in your temple, it's all theirs. Your descendants will be with them. They will be exiled and brought away. What you've done is bad, (laughs) Not good. And here's Hezekiah's response. It's like the most disappointing, I don't know, like cold, clammy response you could like imagine. The word of the Lord you have spoken is good, Hezekiah replied, for he thought, will there not be peace and security in my lifetime? You're like, oh, what, a, what a jerk. Like, you care nothing but yourself. You know, it's like Hezekiah was a great leader. And he navigated these difficult times and showed the people, know your identities in Christ. Have a real faith. And yet at the end, he's like, eh, what do I care? You know, like, who, you know, future, future, you know, like, whatever. Like, I've, I've got what I've got. God gave me the 15 years. I'm taking them. You know, and, and it just feels like, no, Hezekiah, you are supposed to lead us. Continue, like, keep this going for all generations so that that temple can remain real, right? Can, get the, the relationship can be there, that we can trust in God that, so that Babylon won't, won't even take us too, right? What we're hoping for, what we're hoping for is the real promises of life, right? Hezekiah, no, you're supposed to lead us. Where's the, is there a king, right? Is there someone who can lead us into life forever? How about us today? We're not even in Israel. Is there someone today that maybe we, is that path available to us to have a real faith, to have a real relationship with God? Someone, anyone, any king, anywhere, right? Well, it's not gonna be Hezekiah, right? He's a paper king. He's, he's, he's flawed. He himself is exposed as a counterfeit. What we need is a true king who can lead us to true life for forever, right? Who can offer us that forgiveness, that connection with God together. It's going to take a perfect man, right? It's going to take probably God himself to come be the true king. What we need is Jesus. Let's pray. God, I thank you so much for Hezekiah, for his example. I thank you for, oh, all the stories um, that you weave together uh, for us even today through his life. God, there are so many counterfeit offers uh, saying the same things that you say, offering us the same thing, but at a much cheaper price. Um, I pray uh, that we wouldn't choose those, that, that you would show us the truth in your word, that you would bring us examples of people that are following you and having faith, that have the peace and the life, and it all checks out. God, I pray that we would see the quality and the offer that you are giving us today. I pray also that we'd Uh, choose to have a real faith um, that we wouldn't be satisfied with anything less than everything that you're offering us and everything you're requiring of us. Uh, We don't want to have any sort of counterfeit faith. We don't want to be satisfied in in something that's less or something that we're content with. Uh, We want to pursue you. We want to know you and we want to know everything uh, that you have offered to us and that you can make possible through you and your son, Jesus, God. We love you and in your name we pray. Amen.
All right, we do discussions. After every sermon, I've got four questions for you today. First one, what was your word for Hezekiah? So if you had a word, go ahead and share. Share some of your rationale. Why'd you pick it? Number two, in what ways do people settle for a counterfeit faith? I'll give you permission. You can talk in third person about someone else when you're really talking about yourself on this one if you want. Uh, The third one, what counterfeit offers of life exist today? So this is, look at our culture. Where do we see these offers of peace and life and security that's outside of God? And then lastly, a, a personal application. What is one way you can choose a real relationship with God? Uh, turn to your neighbors. You can gather around the tables if you want. The only rule is you have to gather with at least one person who you didn't come here with. Uh, that way we are practicing community. We're practicing loving one another. Even if it's awkward, it's, uh, it's fruitful. So, all right, I'll come back up in maybe five minutes and dismiss you.